My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? The Akasha is the subtle, super-sensuous spiritual essence which pervades all space, the primordial substance erroneously identified with ether. But it is to ether what spirit is to matter. It is in fact the universal space in which lies inherent the eternal ideation of the universe. In its ever-changing aspects on the planes of matter and objectivity and from which radiates the first logos or expressed thought. This is why it is stated that the Akasha has but one attribute, namely sound. For sound is but the translated symbol of logos, otherwise known as speech in the mystic sense. Today's guest knows this all too well. Her name is Amy Belair. She is a reader of the Akashic Record, a healer of all sorts, someone who joined me today to talk about what she does and a little bit about what's going on with my Akashic feel. I'm Mystic Mark. Thank you for listening to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and enjoy this conversation with Amy Belair. visions and my psychic abilities tend to come through strongest through clear cognizance primarily which is a very cerebral field of just knowing just knowing something just understanding something so often i'll call them downloads it, it feels like an entire piece of information is dropped in through my crown and the whole the whole thing is there and i understand it without needing words or any explanation or i can see something or somebody can be talking and i just i understand what they're they're talking about you know like the bigger things behind what their words are saying the second way that it comes through is visually through clairvoyance like internal vision through my third eye i don't really see a whole lot in the world outside of me i see it mostly um as like vignettes or scenes or imagery internally in my imagination i think our imaginations are incredibly powerful
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And with me, joining me on the air for a second time, this time roles reversed, is Amy Belair. She had me on her podcast almost exactly a year ago, way back when, the Third Eye Awakening podcast. She is a mother, she is a healer, and she is an all-around intuitive and connected person. It's a pleasure to have her here. Amy Belair, thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I am great, Mark. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I'm just excited to have another conversation with you. I remember our first one was really, really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, agreed. And this gives me a chance to get to know you a little better and the listeners too. If they're not aware, uh, you do a show called third eye awakening and i wonder did this all start with a third eye awakening for you or was it earlier than that did you realize that your third eye was opening up and then life started to change when did you when did this all start for you yeah well i mean i started having an awakening i think when i was 18 and i just turned 40 in November. So that feels, it feels like a long time. Like I've been on this path for a long time and it just, I don't know. It feels like it kind of started slow. Like I, I don't even think I knew what the chakras were. I just, I really like, I was really into astrology and I just started feeling like there was more. I think what it really started with was the pressure to go to university and feeling like I just didn't feel right. And and that really caused me to start questioning, well, like, what is the point of all this? I remember when I was, probably sounds like an exaggeration, but I mean it really literally when I was two years old, I remember knowing who I was supposed to be. I remember knowing who I came here to be. And there were two things. Number one was to be a mother. Like I loved babies and I knew that I was going to have children and I knew that I was going to work with um, babies and children. And I also would get these images of like me speaking to crowds of people and speaking like divine truths. And in my, in my childhood mind, this translated as speaking to warring people and being so compelling with my words and with the frequency of divine love and truth that it would cause them to like stop and look at their weapons and be like, what are we doing? And put them down and just like stop the madness basically. So I carried that, those instructions with me, but of course, you know, they kind of get, those kind of things aren't fostered in our culture. And I don't even know that I shared them with my, my family, honestly. And, and so when it was time to go to university I, it, or do anything after high school, it just felt like none of this is what I'm, I'm here for. And I know it, but I, I don't know how to translate what I'm here for into the structures that we live by. So that kind of triggered a long and lonely and slow awakening period where I, I just, I had a lot of very psychedelic experiences, like just realizing and understanding that time is not how we experience it, but it, we do experience it as linear. And so it is that, but it's also something so different. And it's like, I can see through layers of, time superimposed on each other but it was all within my third eye so i suppose i was having a third eye awakening like i wasn't seeing it projected out into the holographic field outside of me i was seeing it within my own internal understanding my own internal vision but it definitely made me feel like 
crazy. And I, I didn't really have many people to connect with. And the other people I, that I did have who kind of were on the same wave, like also felt crazy and were presenting signs of signs and symptoms of mental illness. And so it, that didn't really help, you know, like at least I wasn't totally alone, but I wasn't, I wasn't in stable company anyway. And eventually I, I kind of got my footing and I figured it all out and went through a really profound awakening when I lost my newborn son. And it brought me back to all of this stuff, my whole spiritual perspective. And that was the only place that I found deliverance was in that ability to extend my consciousness beyond the confines of the third dimension that we exist in. And that made such a big difference for me that I knew, I just knew I needed to create a podcast. I needed to create a conversation so that others didn't feel so lonely because it felt like a long time. I've said before, and I mean it, that I wouldn't accept a million dollars to go back and redo my twenties because it was so lonely. It was so, so hard. And there were times where I felt like the only like lighthouse I had was John of the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but his solo work really, it, it felt like he was speaking the same alien language that I was. And it kind of let me know that I wasn't totally alone here on earth. And I, so when I started the podcast, it was because I knew that I can't be the only one experiencing this. I can't, of course I'm not. And others are probably experiencing it and others are probably going through it all alone like I was. And they just need to know that like there can be a conversation around this and this can be accepted and sort of normalized, even if it's still sort of a fringe niche thing. It is, you know, through the magic of the internet, we don't need to be so alone. 100%. And I'm glad you mentioned the red hot chili peppers because I mean, I don't want to sound cliche, but one of my favorite bands for sure, top, top three, I have no shame in that. Uh, but the, there are a few songs that I really gravitated towards by them. And I've always been a lyrical mind. I've always had my mind on the lyrics of the song rather than the beat. And I really think within their music, there's like a, a portal that can open you up to another world, you know, by connecting whatever it is that they created with that sound. It can connect you to another world. I don't know if that's a, a question or just something for you to nod your head at, but yeah, I I can uh, relate to the Red Hot Chili Peppers being a very powerful influence in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And when you see Flea and John like connecting together to improvise on stage and like go through these long, extended sort of like like little mini jam interludes. It's just wild. Like they clearly go to a whole other realm together to channel that music through. Right. And the Pleiadians are often mentioned in their songs, which for me and my girlfriend is, is kind of uh, special. We listen to Barbara channelings. So I guess maybe I don't want to switch gears away from your story, but when you were young, did you have, you, you had some sort of, I'll call them like visual experiences, seeing things, whether it's in your mind's eye or projected outwards, was there anything that maybe we can connect to channeling or is similar to channeling? Did you have any voices or, or 
figures in your mind that would guide you, any guides or, or spirit helpers, things like that at a young age? So when I was a little kid, I didn't have any sense of any of that. I just knew why I was here. And I was very sensitive, but not, I don't know. I think I feel like I was a pretty normal kid and a pretty normal teenager. Um, always big hearted, but apart from that, pretty normal. But when, it, when, like after I turned 18, I started getting all these visions and my my psychic abilities tend to come through strongest through claircognizance primarily, which is just, it's a very cerebral field of just knowing, just knowing something, just understanding something. So either like often I'll call them downloads because it, it literally feels like an entire piece of information is dropped in through my crown and the whole the whole thing is there and I understand it without needing words or any explanation or I can see something or somebody can be talking and I just, I understand what they're, they're talking about, you know, like the bigger things behind what their words are saying. And then the second way that it comes through is visually through clairvoyance and it's all like internal vision through my third eye. I don't really see a whole lot in the world outside of me. I see it mostly um, as like vignettes or scenes or imagery internally in my imagination. I think our imaginations are incredibly powerful and that's why they're belittled in our childhood is to sort of direct us away and, and bury it under shame. So when I was like, let's say when I was 20, for example, I got this, this vision of infinity and it's so hard for me to describe because it was i mean it was infinity but it was like circles circles upon circles upon circles within circles and they were all moving in cyclical cyclical orbits of all at all different scales and if i were to zoom out let's say like take the biggest circle i could see and zoom out I could see that the line that delineated that circle was actually another tiny circle making tiny little, tiny little orbits. And if I were to zoom in on that circle, it would then become the biggest circle. And there were, there was no end on either top or bottom. And that was completely uninduced by drugs or anything like that. I, I just was walking my dog and it completely blew my mind at the age of 20 in my small town in Ontario, Canada, to, to receive that kind of understanding that gave me some perspective of like what I think. And that's why, you know, like jobs and stuff didn't really make sense to me for a long time because I was like, but you don't get it. Infinity. <laughs> Infinity. What do you mean job? <laughs> what do you mean taxes? <laughs> Yeah, And so that was probably the beginning of channeling, but I, my experience with channeling didn't really start to come in like clearly until after my son passed away. And it was actually when Trump was elected in 2016. That was, I don't know, like I, I remember driving on my way to work and listening to podcasts and everybody was talking everywhere about Trump. Everything was all Trump, Trump, Trump. And I kept getting these messages of like the bigger picture. And I knew that they weren't for me because I was completely wrapped up in grief. I didn't give a shit who won at the time. So the messages weren't really for to calm me down. They were messages that I knew I was supposed to share with people to sort of expand their perspective about what was actually happening and see it in a, yeah, from a broader vantage point. Now, 
when this happened to you, obviously it was tragic. It was something that your family knew about. It wasn't something that they would have called you crazy for because it's understandable. You know, it's a tragic thing that happened. You you know, we're expecting to bring a new life into the world and, and then that doesn't happen. It's it's terrible. Did your family start to notice this this psychic energy before this or was it really that experience that really brought it into your personal life? No, they always knew that I was like this and I tried to suppress it and yet I was fooling no one. Like it kind of makes me laugh now to look back because I'm like, I don't know who I was kidding or who I thought I was kidding because it was so apparent that I'm just like this. Uh, but I felt very, you know, I, I really love that. I know a lot of guests say this, but I love the title of your podcast because it is kind of that painful feeling of like loving your family. And I come from a very close family, but feeling like the 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 weird one, the one that, you know, they think is crazy and and trying to share my perspective at, at various points and kind of receiving I don't know it's like like a quality of dismissive ridicule and you know my family's not the type to really like cut each other down and make fun of each other we're we're mostly really quite kind to each other but it's just sort of this like little smirk and this laugh like oh there goes Amy again and okay, sure, karma, blah, blah, blah. And and it would just shut the conversation down. And at that time, I wasn't confident enough in myself. So I would sort of involute. And then I would try to hide it and pretend I was a normal person and ping pong back and forth between fake normal and like true weird for, you know, a, a long time. But then after, after my son died and he died when he was 20 days old. So we, we even like, we all kind of got attached to him. You know, we got to meet him and feel his presence and so it was a loss for them as well and i think that did help sort of bridge that distance for us in my family but i just stopped giving a shit because when you like when you go through something like that there's an ego death involved too that kind of really puts things in perspective like back to this sort of infinity thing that is like wow you know like my heart was so expanded and full of love for him and so devastated and full of grief and all at the same time. And I didn't have the bandwidth to care what anybody thought about me, at least not at the level that I did before. So they probably did notice, but I still, to this day, like we don't really talk about it that much. I talk about it with my mom and my oldest son, who's 17. He's freaking awesome. I talk about it with them, but with my dad and my sisters, we just kind of like, just talk about other things. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I can relate for sure. I think that anytime something happens like equal to that, it can shake up your, your psyche and you talk about an ego death and just not really caring what other people think. I, I think that that is a sort of it's a powerful feeling that can seem reckless to those who aren't as confident, you know, this sort of spiritual egoless confidence. That's like, no, I know, you know, it's like what you were describing before with clear consciousness. It gives you this very strong sense of, of knowing. And usually 
at least in my family's case, that is the biggest, you know, red flag for a lot of them. Like, what makes you so confident? You know, like that, that usually turns them off more than it gets them confident. So I can only imagine, but have you ever tried to give your, your family members like a quick reading, you know, have you ever drawn in the Akashic energy to, to, you know, retort something that your father said and, and if so, what are their responses like? Have you ever shocked them by like pulling something out of the ether that they only they knew? Only the ones who are receptive. So I did a reading once for my youngest sister. And I think even at the time, like there's a certain energy that sometimes people bring to a reading that they they feel like they're at a crossroads, like they have a problem and they want the solution to their problem. And the fact that they're in the energy of the problem means they can't hear the solution, even if it's offered. So I, I have a feeling that that reading just went in one ear and out the other, but it was impactful for me. I remember being like, oh, okay. I learned some stuff about her. All right. And I've done a bit of one for my mom, but I kind of feel a little bit like I've never even done them for my kids, except for the one that passed away because I feel like it's almost better for me to not know. Like it's a little bit of, it's a little bit not my business to to know what their soul, you know, trajectory is. And it's like reading their diary or something, you know, or like trying to read their text messages, like just, just leave it. <laughs> right. Well, that is very, very fair and responsible for you to say. <laughs> and I, I trust you a little bit more now. Yeah, I, I think that that is one of the things that in a kind of silly way, people start to maybe get paranoid about when they realize that you're tapping into something uh, otherworldly or, you know, typically with folks who just don't understand because they got other things going on in their life. It's not a matter of, oh, they don't know or they should know, but, you know, life had it that they learned and got really smart at other things. So you almost feel like uh, they're at a disadvantage when it comes to these psychic uh, abilities that some of us can wield. Has it ever worked in a way where you didn't realize you were, you know, reading somebody like when you're younger, possibly like, how does this, you, you talked about like a clear conscious feeling. Is it in your control? Like, will you say, all right, I want to read this person and you get focused and you, you spend some time getting into the the mindset or does it just come randomly like you're at a gas station and all of a sudden you're reading the ca the cash register guys you know next week <laughs> yeah it's both it really comes through as both and so just just to like soothe anybody's feelings of like i'm being hacked by you know random psychics is that your akashic field is so sacred everybody's akashic field is so sacred and what i learned is that the, the Akashic field is like, it's a frequency of consciousness rather than a location. And that frequency resonates as what we would describe as grace, truth, and love. And if so, the way to get there is to match your frequency to that field. So you can't hack into it because like you, 
the key doesn't fit. You know what I mean? Like you can't access it if you, so you can't use it with dark motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you like that precludes you from accessing that field, which is a great thing. So, so on one hand, sometimes I do have to sit down and actually tune into a person or tune into a question, but I did, I used to have this experience all the time, which is one of the things that kind of prompted me to go in this direction in my life of actually doing readings and working with people was some people are an open book. Some people are very closed and they're like, F you, (laughs) like mind your business, get out of my field. My husband is like that. He's like, nobody's reading me, get out of here. But other people are walking around like with an open question mark. And it's not that you can access their Akashic field, but you can get into their field and you can read, you know, like their barriers are just more permeable. And so I would, that would happen a lot. And I would get these promptings from, I don't really know who, I mean, I think it's probably my main spirit guide, but I don't really know. It was just this urging to like, give somebody a hug, like a random stranger, like a random strange man. When I was in my twenties, I got this urge to give a, like some 40 year old businessman a hug. And I didn't do it because I was like, that's weird. I don't think I could do that. I don't know if that's safe. I kind of wish I had done it though, but there was another time that I was really prompted to talk to this kid on the streetcar on public transit and tell him that he's really beautiful eyes. And I listened to that one because I felt safer in that situation, but I would get these knowings, like just seeing somebody just driving by and seeing somebody and being like, oh, they're so lonely or oh, like something really, you know, they just, it was often their bad feelings. Like it's easier to tune into people's, you know, they're louder or something, you know, people's sadness, people's pain and loneliness for some reason, or maybe it's just more prevalent. So, so sometimes I do get information for people really quickly, right off the cuff, but I tend to like to sit down and carve out space and, and actually really tune into their field. Right. Yeah. And I, I've received those out of nowhere compliments at low points in my life. I haven't always been as cheery as I am right now. Not that I'm in a bad mood, but I just woke up folks who are listening and wondering why my (laughs) voice is so drone. But yeah, I, I've had, I've had sort of moments that flooded into mind, right? When you describe that, where just some person that I never met ever again, complimented me at just the right time where maybe I was really thinking low about myself. And then all of a sudden, you know, my eyes start to water, my heart starts to warm up and my whole day is better. And, you know, I don't go in and follow that person down the street, like, Hey, make me feel better again. But it was just that like one moment of like uh, reprieve from whatever was going on in my, you know, mental world, which can be so stormy and, and, and hazy and foggy. It takes, you know, something as simple as an, as a, just a little kind gesture to snap you out of it. Now, this is where it's going to get a little difficult, Amy. I want you to, I want you to, to sink in and try to help me out here because I definitely, the title of my show is my family thinks I'm crazy, but the more I'm talking to people, the more I'm starting to realize I might be a little crazy. So, so, something, I don't know. I want to figure it out. I want to get, at least get a diagnosis from as many people as I can. So maybe if we could shift gears into more of a reading and maybe I can ask you questions from that perspective. Is that something you're cool with? 
Yeah, sure. All right. Let's so, do it. So my first question is, and this is a long time, so I, if you don't have an answer, that's totally fine. But do you notice a difference between my energy here today and when we first met and did our Zoom call on your show last year? And it was a long time ago, so I don't expect you to remember. But but do you, is there anything that, that you notice that's different? Yeah, well, off the cuff, definitely I do. But it could just be that you just woke up too. So like, I'm sure that has that impacts things. But let me tune in. It just takes me a moment to do my tuning and process, okay? That's fine. We have all the time you need. We can even edit on the fly. I do notice. Okay. So, I mean, I'm going to get you to refine your question in a moment, but I'll just give you my first off the cuff Akashic sort of impression is that it does feel like there's an extra weight on you that wasn't there last year, almost like some um, degree of innocence has been altered or tempered or something like that. Like there's, yeah, it just, it, it, how do I describe it? Like, like, for you personally, like there was maybe a threshold or a line that was crossed sometime over the last year where you had a certain perspective this time last year that was maybe more trending on the side of optimistic. It's really hard to put these things into words because I feel like our English words are so clunky and not quite the right fit, but it's something in that direction of like, optimism, innocence, and there was some threshold that was crossed that pulled you into something a little bit more like how, like a little bit more of a Capricornian, Saturnian, a little bit more of a just a bit of a heavier energy around like perceptions of structures and responsibility or something like that. But when you ask about your energy is, can you refine that a little bit? Like, can you, is there, is there something specific that you're asking about in your energy? So I'm glad you, you asked me to refine afterwards because yeah, I think there is, there is a certain split happening between my podcast personality and who I am, you know, like I don't want, I don't want there to be a personality that I use on the podcast. I want it to be me. And that's sort of become a struggle is how authentic can I be while also maintaining a sense of privacy when it comes to more personal things like my relationship and my family and the show's titled, my family thinks I'm crazy. So there's naturally going to be an element of that personal nature in the show. So I guess my energy was more of a, I guess the, the word energy was more of a, like a, asking you to read my temperature, my spiritual temperature, so to speak, because that gave me a kind of a good 
place to go. And I don't, I don't, I only recently started kind of deeply following astrology and I don't know if this is exactly why, but in January, as we shifted into the Capricorn energy, I did notice myself, you know, spending a lot more time doing just that, working on the podcast and just being really focused in a linear way. Whereas before I was kind of letting things come as they were, just taking things one step at a time, open, optimistic, and definitely carefree. There was a time around December where like, you know, naturally with the way things go, holidays and all that, you know, I'm like, wow, I really am not making nearly as much money as I ever was ever in my life doing this. So it, it was kind of like a, oh, wow, I need to really step it up and do something else. So I'm not like a total bum with the podcast, you know, and if that means working really hard to make this podcast you know, more valuable in the sense that I can make more money from it, then that's what I got to do. So I think there is a little bit of that going on, like, oh, time to like games are over time to like really buckle down and do this the way you wanted to do it. I don't know if I'm just rambling though. <laughs> is that any, no. any of that connect? Yes, that's exactly, that's exactly what I was feeling. Like, <laughs> that's exactly it. That's sort of the carefree, unstructured, optimistic, like, oh, almost like I wanted to say like stars in your eyes, sort of like, oh, like the future is bright, sort of. And then there's some threshold that was crossed. And I'm not surprised at all to hear that it was in December. My friend, holy crap. I don't, I have some speculations of what the fuck is going on, but the energy <laughs> in December, holy moly. But the, okay, so there is the energy in December which was still a little bit kind of exciting. And then, I don't know, it was like, as soon as the calendar year clicked over to 2022, I felt such a big shift. And January was hard. And then even like the first half of February has been hard. And I've only felt, I felt the energy start to shift just over the last probably seven days. And... So I'm not surprised to hear that it's affecting you on in your own individual experience as well. Like it's it's affecting me in my individual experience. I was just talking to our, I think he's our mutual friend, Brandon Thomas of Expanding Reality. I was just talking to him yesterday and I let him know because we hadn't touched base in a while. And I was like, oh, I feel like I got a hard reset. Like, like I had to uninstall some software and install some new upgraded software in January and February. And like, I, I just got a hard reset myself where I was, I don't know, I feel like I was taken offline, not meaning that I couldn't access the Akashic records or anything, but I just like really, really, really disconnected from my ego and who even am I and what even is this place that I'm in? And like, what is this life I've created? Who created this? Was it actually me? It's just been very interesting energies. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hard for sure i don't know um if this relates but i've had a cat for most of my life i mean since i was like eight years old and uh, two actually twin girl cats and one of them passed away this is the one that we had at my former house one of them passed away at a time 
that was a big transition for me. Literally the day I went to work as an Amazon delivery guy for the first time, my childhood pet passed away in my bed, right? And it was really sad. And that was a couple of years ago. I, I, you know, I got over it and, and that job really gave way for what I'm doing now. But what's interesting, why I bring this up is because that cat's twin only recently passed away like two weeks ago. And that cat had always lived at this house where I'm staying now. Uh, And I don't know what that means for me as like a young boy becoming a man, but I love those cats with all my heart, you know, and now they're both gone. It really has felt like over the past two weeks, I've become not, I don't want to say I've become a man, but I'm just not a kid the way I was uh, two months ago, three months ago. Now that the cat's passed away and it scares me a little bit, but it also is like, well, you're 27. I mean, you are a man. So <laughs> what, what's with the apprehension? But, you know, it, it's just interesting. I think cats are inherently psychic and there's just something. I, I hope it's not like a psychic bond loss. Like part of me was afraid. Like I lost my like spirit helper or something my what are they called daemons right but she she definitely had a, a spiritual quality to her but yeah i think that was that was the hardest thing that happened last month for me was losing the cat but i don't know if that connects to to the overall energy of what i'm doing right now but there is a sort of like all right time to to turn over a new leaf, you're growing that sort of energy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it is, it is all connected. It's going to see if I can rein it in sort of, but collectively, I think what's happening is we are being pushed towards the final and ultimate ego death. When that will happen, I don't know, but we're all sort of like the, the destination is to release the illusions of the ego collectively pretty much at the same time at the same deadline. And we're being sort of prompted in that direction right now. And it's kind of picking up pace and moving faster. Additionally, I feel this like thinness in the separation between or the boundary between like what keeps us focused on this perspective and then like the the realms and the dimensions beyond this particular like 3D, 4D experience that we're normally focused on and everything that you're describing is your own unique individual way that it's playing out and it's going to play out differently for everybody but it's sort of hastening you along this path like yeah sure okay you're 27 you're a man you're having your Saturn return that that's all that's all true but it feels like what it is is like the universe or your life or how God force energy, God force consciousness, whatever, however you want to put it is pulling you in the direction, like kind of like gently releasing your grip on things that were comfortable and comforting, but that were keeping you attached to an idea you had of yourself because there's a new idea that has to come in now. And so that, that part where, you know, losing your cat and what it symbolizes is like 
I don't know, it kind of reminds me of my son is seven year, or seven months old right now. And it's like when I have to loosen his grip, like gently on something he's clutching onto. And it's not that you had a clutching energy, but when we when there's something that we love and we have an attachment to it, sometimes it can hold us in that frequency of, or be symbolic of, our, of holding ourselves in that frequency of the previous version of ourselves. And sometimes we just kind of have to have that, our fingers loosened up, our grip loosened and have it sort of removed so that it creates this space for the new iteration of, you know, who we are now to be able to come through. Right. Yeah, I definitely, I think there's a lot uh, associated with those cats, maybe even keeping me in this location because for the past couple of years, I had been seeing a psychic every on and off and she kept telling me every time I came in for a reading, like, I see you, I see you moving out West. I see you moving out West. I still have never moved out West, but it feels like now that those cats are no longer here in a weird way, I'm like, you know, it's just one less thing holding me to this place, you know, cause I could always make the excuse like, Oh, but you gotta take care of Trixie girl. You know, like, you know, dad's not going to do that. And I, and I stayed at my dad's house for a long time because of that thought, like I got to take care of my cat. I love her. And it probably, you know, I should have left the, the nest a lot sooner regretting that now clearly, but, but I think there is definitely a part of me that's like wayward right now. Like, I'm not sure where, I'm going to end up part of me wants to stay in Connecticut and really explore the, what I've been calling, what my girlfriend and I have been calling the Connecticut mystery, you know, this, what's this, the power of this river and why were all of these people drawn here. But then there's also that impending like, oh, well, we got to get out of a blue state because they're going to, you know, hold us down and force us to get, you know, a medical experimental drug that we don't want, you know? So, so there is, there is a little bit of a, a crossroads energy and I'm not asking you to tell me what, you know, choice to make, but I do, I do wonder if you get that a lot, like, and if you actually sense that from me, you know, this, or if you even can, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not something you can tell me, but I do feel like I need to make a choice, stay in Connecticut or get the, get out of here quick. <laughs> yeah. And do you, well, do you want me to try and go into that question? Please. Okay. I mean, the answer really clearly, and I, I think you, you actually know this, the answer really clearly is to go. And I feel, what I feel is that your, your energy, I don't know if you and your girlfriend have considered like, what's the word, nomadic living for a little while and just traveling. Cause it looks like on the map, I can kind of see like going in some certain places, but it feels like sort of the the location that calls you and it's sort of, sort of like flashing like a beacon so you you don't have to go straight there but it's sort of like the homing beacon feels 
Lake Nevada. Area 51? <laughs> <laughs> what? I was just talking to somebody from Nevada last night. It's funny. We are talking about the Skinwalker Ranch, but yeah. Wow. Huh. I I wouldn't be surprised if if that has something to do with Sam Tripoli because he's talking a lot about finding a new place to live and I know he really loves Vegas so who knows maybe and that was kind of my thought it's like well shit if Sam's about to move maybe I'll just wait till he moves and go find a place near him you know and and do my podcast out of Tinfoil Hat Studios so we'll see there you go but uh, yeah Thank you. Yeah, I, I get that, you know, and I, I'm kind of glad I asked you because Laura Lenhard, who's been on my show once before, she always told me that you're going to go west, you're going to go west. And, you know, this is a woman who I had my first psychic reading from. I kind of have built up a, a little bit of a trust with her over the past few years. But anyways, that's besides the point. Another thing that's kind of been on my mind that I know you can help me with is I've had, and look behind me, there's thousands of books. I, I've had this sort of like really anxiety that's coming on before I interview people, especially someone who is an author and especially a, an author whose book I own, because there's this tremendous pressure to like read the book, get, you know, my questions lined up and I, I nine times out of ten when I've done these interviews I personally feel like I haven't lived up to my expectations but I'm wondering maybe if that I'm just taking the wrong approach you know like like trying to digest their books and interview them that way might not be the right approach but it's it's kind of giving me this feeling like are you ever going to have enough time to read all these books do you even need to read all these books <laughs> you know <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just tuned in to just like make sure that I'm getting because sometimes when the information comes in so fast, I'm like, is this just me or is this the the Akashic field? So okay, so it is. Sorry, but what's coming through is that that is it. That's an old construct. That's an old construct, and you don't need to hold on to that. It is. It's hindering you. The taken from this perspective that the um, authors of these books, <laughs> like they are probably so freaking tired of the content of their books because of the amount of time it took to like work on that project and the number of times they had to read the damn thing to, you know, for the editing process and, and all of that. And that that's not where the life force energy is for them anymore that really they have in in the meantime between their book being written and them talking to you they've had so many different new thoughts and new avenues of consciousness open up for them and you're a really exceptional conversationalist you're very you hold a beautiful space of neutrality where people can be have their beliefs and they don't have to be in complete congruence with your beliefs you're you're just very good at exploring and allowing space for the exploration of your guests' beliefs. And that's really where the magic is for you is coming into conversation with people and that and not having to prove that you did your homework. You know, that 
truly most people will understand that there is only so much time, but also it just feels like the people who are drawn to be on your podcast really just want to have uh, a great conversation and, and really like explore the boundaries of new thoughts. That's, that's what it feels like you're very good at. Thank you. Wow. I had not, I didn't really put much stock into that part of the show because I feel like when I get into that, I'm like, oh, here we go with more philosophical ramblings. But, you know, in hindsight, seven out of 10 messages, people are sort of latching on to those concepts and, and adding to them when they message me. So, wow. Thank you. Yes. I think that's, that, that takes a lot of pressure off because the, the point you made in particular, you know, not having to prove that I've done my homework. I think that was a big force in my life growing up, like, um, feeling inadequate when I was measured up to the school system, even though in my own mind, deep down, I knew my brain was doing exactly what it needed to do. I never, in my own mind, I had no doubts about my intelligence, but every time I went to school, you know, there's this tremendous amount of pressure and, and doubt that's cast because you didn't regurgitate the, you know, lesson plan correctly. So yeah, it is kind of a, it's funny, a friend from high school saw that I'm doing a podcast uh, only a week or two ago. And he's like, yeah, you're the perfect man to do a podcast. He's like, you never shut up about aliens. You know, you know, we like he, he, he's hit me right in the gut with that one. And I laughed really hard. I'm like, yep, you got me. <laughs> this is, this is uh, what I've been meaning to do for a while, but yeah. I, I think I need to get out of my own way for sure with the, with the interviews. Cause sometimes I can work up this, you know, a tremendous amount of expectation. And then I talk to the guests and they're like, totally cool, laid back, chill. And, and it doesn't even go in the direction that I thought it would. So kind of like this conversation. That's <laughs> right. And that's where the magic is. And I was just going to say, well, I mean, I reached out to you because I listened to your recent interview with Nick Hinton and I was like, damn, that was a good conversation. And I really love the way that Nick's mind works. And so I, you know, I've listened to a lot of his interviews and I found that your conversation with him really went in directions that I haven't heard before. Like you didn't just ask, I don't want to make it sound like other interviewers ask the same old questions, but I think that there is a there are sort of standard questions that come to mind for somebody like Nick Hinton when you want, you know, most people kind of want him to elaborate on the same themes, but you in the unique workings of your own mind, you are like, let's go down this Avenue though. Like let's mm -hmm. explore this space. And it, it was really cool. And I feel like that is, that's a perfect example of sort of the gift and the magic of what you bring to the podcasting scene that only you can bring rather than giving people a platform to share about their book, which of course they can do. But I, I don't know. I just get the energy as I was tuning into it. Like really, I was just seeing all these people who are like, Oh God, like I kind of wish I hadn't even written this book because I've had to talk about it so many times. And there's this new thing that I'm really into and nobody asks me about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's more, fun and, and just bouncing ideas around and being in the moment and not sticking to a rubric. Usually the rubric gets thrown out after the first three questions anyways, but yeah, 
Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate you listening to my conversation with Nick Hinton. I think there's definitely some things we talked about in that conversation that I would like to get your opinion on, or at least just your thoughts on if you don't have an opinion. But, you know, this idea of your mind creating a scenario that you didn't want to get yourself into, I think that's a really scary thought for some people like you can create this reality for yourself and it's a negative one, you know, cause typically people hear, you know, positive, positive. Oh, if you think positive thoughts, you'll create a positive reality. But what we don't hear a lot is the reverse of that, which is like somebody. And I think a good example of it is Nick Hinton where his intentions are good. He's trying to research uh, a topic that he cares about and he knows other people care about. And then he ends up inviting maybe some dark energy into his life that, you know, it's his story to tell, not mine, but definitely made him think twice about what kind of path he was on. Have you met folks like that doing the work you do or maybe even experienced something that like that yourself in your life? Oh, definitely. I, and I feel like that's the majority of what, what I observe anyway is people creating I guess the difference is like Nick was trying to be intentional, but most people are manifesting and creating their reality from a place of being unintentional and they keep recreating the same shitty circumstances over and over on repeat because they they haven't quite like the penny hasn't dropped that they are the common denominator and where and how to adjust their own like perception and frequency. So I I definitely feel you know, because it, it's all like, yeah, sure, we can create beautiful, positive realities. But the point is that everything has something I've really begun to appreciate about manifestation is it kind of takes on a life force of its own. Like, like you create something and then there's a point where it has enough energy behind it that it doesn't need your energy to propel it any further. And so it kind of snowballs in its own direction. And, but I think, I mean, my feel about it is that I just like to believe because I could live in a state of fear around that. And I think a lot of people do, but I like to fall back on the belief that I trust myself and that I can handle what comes in my life and that there is no way of getting out of manifesting. Like even if you just like park yourself in a field and don't move, you just lie down and you just don't move for the rest of your life. And you're like, I refuse to make a decision or do anything. You're still, you're still manif you're manifesting that reality. You are making a decision. There's no way out of um, being a creator. So then we just have to create and learn from it and create and learn from it and create and learn from it and trust ourselves to deal with the circumstances that we create. And I think for, I don't know the full story with Nick, but it sounds, if I'm tracking properly, like he really then it brought him into a more conscious relationship with the God of his understanding and the forces that he wishes to ally himself with, which is an amazing outcome. Right. I agree. And like I said, there was some, there were some details that he definitely told me not to share, but yeah, it was dark. You know, it was dark. What we talked about, we had a couple phone conversations before we recorded that podcast. So I kind of 
I got to know Nick a little bit and that helped the conversation flow. But yeah, I, I think, you know, as you put it just then really brilliantly, we are unescapably the creators of our reality and to our own detriment, especially when we don't realize it. And I think that's even a lot of what people come to realize when they study conspiracy is that maybe the society we're living in has been set up that way to keep us in that type of ignorance where we're not really affecting our larger destiny in a productive way. Yeah, I 100% feel that that's true. And when, just as an example, like, I think that the the those who are behind the setup of our society and our culture, they know that we are manifestors and there's no way out of that. They know that. And they they have figured out how to hijack and use our manifestation abilities for their ends. And we have to be extremely mindful of what we're putting our attention and energy toward because we feed it out, like we are the conduits of God consciousness. And so as we, you know, focus our attention and our energy on any given thing, we are channeling God consciousness, the animating life force of the whole universe into that thing that we are paying attention to. And therefore we are feeding it our energy and it's able to grow as a result of that. And I do think that in the conspiracy community that there is a measure of caution that probably needs to be taken. I'm certainly not suggesting that we keep our heads in the sand and that like just by burying our heads in the sand, we can avoid, you know, manifesting air quotes, bad things. But I do know that there, there are some brilliant, brilliant minds that in my view are very focused in their content creation and all of their energy on exposing the the darkness and that might be their sole purpose and and i believe that there are people who can like handle that and they they have the infrastructure energetically to be able to do that and stay grounded and like be sort of a conduit for that energy in a direction that is within their control but i think for the average person we have to be really careful about what information we consume and how mindlessly or mindfully we consume it. Because for example, being in Canada, it's all about the trucker convoy. And, you know, it seems like the, the domino has finally been tipped to hasten the collapse of the economy. And I mean, that's like everywhere in the airwaves right now. And I watch people paying attention to it and I see their energy just feeding, 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 feeding this narrative. And I think like, what are all the other things that we can be creating? And and there is like, we, we can inadvertently invite in darkness when we're kind of going down these, these paths. But I, I, again, I think the thing about the darkness is that it doesn't even scare me anymore because I know that it's all one consciousness ultimately. And I know that they operate only on the mental plane. Everything is a suggestion. Everything is those um, shadows on the wall from the, you know, was it Plato's thing yes. or Socrates? Plato's? Plato. 
everything is those shadows on the wall everything it's all suggestion on the mental level but as soon as we believe the suggestion and buy into it and feed it our energy then it manifests into something real but we are the powerful ones we are the manifestors so as we remove our hooks from those stories they don't have our our energy source anymore and we can direct our own creative energy to the things that we actually desire to experience right on yeah and I think that is very well said in a way is unique to how I typically describe it. So thank you for reaching the group of people listening who maybe didn't understand what I was saying when I said my own version of that, because I think that's exactly the secret which religion, society, governance, they all rest on that mental manipulation, the subtle suggestion. They never violate natural law. They, they don't enforce something that's going to go against natural law because then they'll incur the karmic debt. They put the karmic debt on us by making suggestion and then unwittingly we as the, you know, ever present, you know, sheeple or I, <laughs> you know, people of the, of the, the common, you know, are forced to react instead of act and that leaves the people in power constantly acting making those moves first where we're reacting you know i'm wondering your thoughts on that but then i also have a question for you okay well i can give a really quick thought is like i agree with you essentially i agree with everything you just said but one thing that i've kind of noticed is i think I do believe the tail, the, the scales are tipping because what I see as just having happened in Canada is reactionary on the part of the, you know, the, the monopolizers, the evil, the, I don't know. Well, I don't know. The Sith. Call them. <laughs> the Sith. <laughs> yeah, the Sith, exactly. Oh my gosh. I always, I have my, my partner is this total Star Wars person. And so I have all these conversations and I'm like, but what would Palpatine do? I'm trying to understand it. I do. I, because I, they worked so hard. I know this was in their advanced calculations. I know it was, I knew it as soon as the trucker convoy started, even though I support, you know, the intention behind it, a hundred percent, all the beautiful beings, but they, they tried to goad them into violence and it didn't happen. The exact opposite happened, but they must only have limited chess moves right now available to them because they still had to use it in the absence of violence as a pretense to enact the, oh, I can't remember what it's called right now, the Emergency Act right. in Canada and be able to basically like, we're having our, our funds jeopardized right now, all of our, like the, the banks they, the government can go into our bank accounts and freeze our bank accounts and we're prohibited from having any crypto wallets apparently now. And so people are taking money out of the bank and the bank is now freezing things because of course we know there's inflation there. The money that you see in your account doesn't exist. There's only a small fraction of it that actually exists. So I think this is going to trigger the financial collapse. But what I see is that this was not... This was not the ideal 
they needed they needed violence to break out and it didn't happen and but they only have limited chess moves right now so they are also being reactionary but they operate in a different way with their reactions than we do absolutely and you know big warm hearted shout out to all of the folks up there in the blockades wherever they've repositioned themselves i know they were in ottawa last week they're probably somewhere else now but yeah big warm shout out to all of them for remaining peaceful and not being you know reactionary yeah. and and you know going into that because that's typically how they break up protests here in the states is by having these agent provocateurs dressed all in black you know black boots black knee pads black helmet and a, you know police issued baton and then they go and start breaking windows and fighting people and then americans just how we typically are well we got to fight that guy back because you know i'm not going to be the you know only tough guy i'm not gonna let him be the only tough guy at this protest so <laughs> so yeah that's that i'm really proud to see that nobody got violent i heard some really weird stories of what the rcmp was doing uh to try to provoke violence up there like sending police officers from two provinces over to go and enforce the law there it's like well why would a government do that because they don't want people mm -hmm. feeling a personal connection to the the people that they're being told to go brutalize, right? You know, those folks are going to go back to their neighbors and have a clear consciousness rather than, you know, sending the local cops to go and do that. So, yeah, I, again, you know, I'm sure plenty of podcasts have spent whole two-hour segments talking about just that, so we'll, we'll leave it there. But my other question to you is, given the times that we're in and people like myself are, are more and more cutting mainstream media out of their life. I don't watch TV my own fruition. It's on in the house sometimes, but I definitely don't choose to watch it. I want to connect with something like the Akashic Record. What are the first steps I can take if, if myself or anyone listening wants to embark on that? Yeah. So it's really actually easy. Uh, I say easy, but it takes, it takes some discipline but like I said, it's, it's not a location as we understand locations. It's a frequency. And I also want to sort of dispel any myths around the Akashic Records that, at least for me, when I go into the Akashic Records, I get information in sort of the way I describe like those full knowings and pictures, but it's also impressions. So I'm having to piece together impressions. It's not like, you know, it. The expectation to go into the Akashic Records and have all the answers available is, I think it just sets people up to then not realize they're in the Akashic Records if, when they're actually there, simply because our, our own consciousness is what mediates what we can receive. So you can only receive what your consciousness has a context for. So you might have access to all the information, infinite, infinite truth, but if you don't have a context for it, it's like it doesn't exist because you can't filter it through anything. Right. It's like it's like having, you know, all the books in the world, but you can only read in one language. You know, most of those books aren't going to be very valuable to you because you're only reading in one language. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly, exactly it. That's the perfect analogy. So, so what I have found is that 
For me, it was about fine tuning my own frequency and expanding my consciousness to be able to receive more information. And the way that I fine tuned my frequency for me, it was after my son died, um, which I shared on tinfoil hat because he would, I would get messages from him. Like I still felt a connection to him, but I noticed that when I was in the deepest depths of sorrow and grief, I, that those weren't the times I was getting the messages because my frequency was too low and I'm not judging grief. Like I had to be there and it's a beautiful thing. It's a tribute to that love. It's just a human experience, but it, it gave me feedback that then like sometimes you get breaks, even like right after it's happened, you still get breaks where like, it's like your brain can't process that information and you just I don't know, you go into like shock or something and you can watch a funny show. I watched a lot of Arrested Development at the time and it made me laugh. And so then I would have a couple of days where I felt good. And those would be the times when I would get a message from him. So I noticed, oh, my frequency is what makes the difference. And all I wanted to do is connect with him. So that was like the dangling carrot that was my motivation to learn how to fine tune my frequency. And all I, I think the only way that I did it was just like taking inventory of my thoughts and noticing when I started to dip and understanding that sometimes I was going to go down into shitty feelings because we all are going to have that human experience. And so just let it happen when it had to happen, but noticing like, oh, I have this thought and it seems to take me down a couple pegs. Or I have this story that I'm telling myself and it seems to take me down. And then also meditating and I got my Reiki attunements. And ultimately what it led to when I learned how to access the Akashic Records was me having an easier time controlling my frequency to then like reach that field of grace, truth, and love. So just like any... Just like any new skill we want to acquire, it's just a matter of discipline of showing up and practicing and not throwing a tantrum because it doesn't yield, you know, mind-blowing results right away the very first time or the first week that you practice. Just continuing to show up for it and let, you know, let those early efforts kind of slowly accumulate beneath the radar of your own awareness and just trust that they are accumulating. And then when you, when they kind of reach their tipping point, then you'll have the experience where you're like, whoa, it's actually working. And, and really that's all there is to it. I love that. Yeah. I think patience is key. Although I've never connected in any way that, you know, I'm no for sure that it was the Akashic record. I would say patience is, is key. And I like that dangling carrot i mean it, it feels like for you at that time extremely important right to connect with your son you know for those out there who who might not have that same impetus keeping a good vibration a positive mental attitude is inevitably going to have beneficial side effects even if you're not connecting with the akashic record right away so I think it's a, it's a great way to go about living your life. I don't know, you know, if you're going to connect to the Akashic and then figure out everything in the universe, like you're saying, it's more about context. You know, I think people hear this term Akashic record and they think like, oh, that's how these gurus know everything. They just 
tap into the Akash record. And that might be true, but it takes 10, 15, 20, 30 years of them studying all sorts of material before it, they have the recall to just, you know, blurt out this, that, and this. And I think there's a little bit of both going on too, where they're drawing on information that they might not have ever interacted with before, but it's, it's sort of nestled in between all of that other information that they have spent 10, 15, 20, 30 years learning. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and also that doesn't need to be a deterrent for anyone. Like, you know, say if you're 22 and you, you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I want to access the Akashic Records, but I'm not really going to have access to that level of wisdom until I'm, you know, in my fifties. I, that's not necessarily true because your soul your soul has been through so much. It's just the expansion of consciousness. And we've never lived at a better time. Like to, to me right now, we're in this portal. And I don't say this to be kind of like new agey and use like one of those, what are they words? What are those words called? I'm blanking right now. You know, it's like, it's a, like a catchphrase kind of. Mm. You know, buzzwords, that's what I'm thinking of. I don't use the word portal lightly. I know it's a buzzword. I feel like we are in a literal portal right now where we can can move beyond the barriers of this this bandwidth of consciousness with way more ease than we have been able to before. We're, We're not as trapped. There's much more fluidity. There's a thinness to the veil, so to speak. So there's never been a better time. It's just like, we just have to work for it. Like it's, it's kind of, it's a path of devotion. I say discipline, but what it's turned into for me is, is a devotional path. And I don't at all mean to imply that I am perfect or I live a perfect life, not even remotely close. If you saw my house right now, you'd totally be like, no, she's not perfect. (laughs) But it's, it's a sort of a devotion in terms of, every experience, every conversation, every person, every thought you have, everything has the ability to activate you and expand your consciousness. And you can hold them all like a jewel. Roll them around in your consciousness and let yourself like feel the expansion happening rather than kind of operating at a surface level and just going through your day on, on like a degree of autopilot, you're missing so many opportunities to expand your consciousness. When you expand your consciousness and you have all of those, like, you know, it feels like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of study behind you. It doesn't have to be in, in those years. It's more in the approach that you take to living life that allows you to. Yeah. Just, I, like see things differently, see things differently so that when you go into the Akashic field, you can understand something that hasn't been presented to you before. Or, you know, like, am I making sense? Kind of, it's like, like, you know, the new frontier sort of, of, of our understanding, because we really, really translate it all into our context in this like even the way that we describe the events you know that like interdimensional relations and councils of whatever and you know galactic councils and things like that i think that it's because it's us sort of like molding the energy and twisting it 
to conform to our understanding of how things work when actually it's way different. It's way more expanded. It doesn't really fit into words, but as you expand your consciousness, you can understand those things that are outside of the human context better. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so important not to overestimate how much of this reality we're in is human because i think there's a lot of people who think that you know we're living in this world made and designed by humans and i don't know i think the more i learn about the spiritual world and the metaphysical world i find that we are just one of many inhabitants in this great big wild weird universe and you know my question now is, have you ever connected with any entities that you thought maybe were non-human? I mean, you spend a lot of time reading in situations like this, person to person, but do you ever get like an instance where maybe someone has like an attachment or, or maybe there's like an entity hanging around that shouldn't be there, anything like that? Yeah, so many attachments, so many attachments. People have so many, yeah, negative dark entities attached. That's been quite a journey for me over the last year to really see a lot of those and and figure out like what needs to happen in order for them to be released. And I've seen a couple of reptilians. I can often when people ask me if they feel that they are a star seed, meaning that they, I don't love that term anymore. I think it's been really like, it's kind of, turned in the wrong direction or something like that but meaning that they feel that their consciousness is from a different realm a different a different realm that we can have incarnations within i can often pick up where where they're from yeah and i'm not a super strong medium meaning that i can connect with people's deceased loved ones but i don't have that's not my primary gift so it kind of just happens randomly rather than me being able to like command it and and you know like bring for bring through their loved one that they want to hear from that's not my primary gift so i guess my question to you then is do you see any attachments around me any <laughs> any entities anything that i should be aware of okay So I don't see, well, this first one that's coming through feels like it's attached to a family member of yours. And I don't want to uh, say it on air without running it by you first, just for the sake of that person's confidentiality. But what I am seeing is like somebody who spends a lot of time in their chair, in their one chair. They really like their chair. They don't their comfort zone is quite limited and their sort of path that they take every day is quite limited. And there is an entity that is around their, their chair, but it's not attached to the chair, but that seems to be the place where it gets the most 
cling into the person. And what it's doing is causing a cycling of a story, a narrative that keeps going over and over and over and over. And this narrative is what keeps that person sort of stuck in the same patterns, the same choices. And the the choices feel pretty limited. The chair kind of looks like the way it's showing itself to me is like an armchair, a comfortable armchair for relaxation purposes. Like a, it could just be an armchair. It could be a recliner, but that's the kind of chair it is. So I don't know if that is making sense to you, but there is an entity around that person and it does affect you because it affects the energy that you're interacting with all the time. So it's not attached to you. You can, you're completely free to go, but just notice the way that it affects you to go and be in that proximity and engage with that person. And I'm just going to tune in again and see, because that's just the first one that came up. So I want to see if there's another one for you. I don't see an entity. I see, well, it's, I call them thought bots, but they kind of remind me of like, they don't have an individual consciousness. They're more of like a virus, like a thought virus. And it's, it's usually lodges somewhere in our brain and kind of hijacks thought patterns so that I don't know if you have any recurring thoughts that you don't really love that like keep you sort of being in a state of like low-grade anxiety and like bordering on self-sabotaging tendencies or like not starting like knowing that there's something you want to start or some some direction you want to move but it's it's kind of like preventing you from doing that yeah that's what I feel that's what I feel for you. And the great news is that the thought bots are like the, they're not the heavy hitters. They're the total light, lightweights. And like we talked about previously in our conversation, it's all happening at the mental level. So you completely have the the power to override it. It's, it's just being aware, like if there's a cycle where you find yourself in this kind of low grade anxiety with sort of recurring kind of intrusive thoughts that don't feel good, that'll make you feel good about yourself or don't make you feel good about life and sort of sabotage your momentum. And then you kind of beat yourself up because you're having that and you're stuck in that pattern. The first thing to do is to not beat yourself up and to sort of separate yourself from that thought cycle and Mm -hmm. know that that's actually like a, a little virus entity that is designed to keep you stuck in that cycle. And so that's not a malfunction or a dysfunction um, or a reflection of you at all. So to kind of like create that distinction and then whenever you notice yourself cycling in that, it's like really, again, it's like raising your frequency. So whatever you need to do to, it's like just change the subject or just go for a walk, just go out in the woods or it'll want to pull you into things that, and this is, I'm kind of going a bit general now. So this can be applicable to anybody who's listening. It'll want to pull you in the direction of watching a movie or watching um, a documentary or something that it tells you is worth watching, you know, something that you can sort of justify to yourself. It'll want you to do something like, 
in it's an indulgence thing. It wants you to indulge in whatever your particular indulgence is. And what you have to do is not indulge in that thing and instead go do something that is constructive, like play your guitar, do a drawing or a painting, creatively write something. If you feel like your creative flow is blocked, like it doesn't matter what you produce, what it sounds like, looks like, reads like, doesn't matter. It's just the act of being creative. That's the important thing. That's where your sovereignty and autonomy live go for a walk, call somebody that you love and have a conversation, like just whatever can sort of break that little cycle. And then recently what I got in a healing session with somebody is that once your frequency is at a certain level, you don't even have to worry about getting rid of them because you repattern them. So you repattern and reclaim the thought bot rather than it, you know, patterning and, and kind of cleaning your life force energy. Absolutely. And I will say that normally I tend to smoke during these interviews and it's early in the day. I didn't want to smoke anything today or at least right now. And that is definitely a thought bot that's been present for the past 10 years of my life ever since I started smoking weed. And I don't think of it wholly as a bad thing because in a lot of ways I enjoy what cannabis has done for my life. But there are times where it's like, oh, indulge, indulge. And then I'm like smoking for no reason. And it's funny you mentioned the thing about movies because my girlfriend and I don't really watch anything at all. And, you know, TV, movies, nothing. We, we like to read and, and do this, the podcasting thing. And it's funny, like over the past month, I've suggested that we watch a couple movies and she's just kind of like, why do you keep wanting to watch movies like she she's so against it i thought i was being sweet but yeah I, maybe it's this thought bot that's telling me to to watch the movie so i i'm not like focused because i i have a lot that i could be doing during the day from working to being creative and yeah the thought bot has definitely derailed my creativity many times <laughs> so yeah that and that's the point like I, I just want to be really clear for everybody who's listening I'm not suggesting that you can't watch movies or that movies are the bad thing or even that um, smoking weed is the bad thing it's the energy of the indulgence that you can feel your own will being you know like tempted in this direction where you're just going to be sort of complacent and you're going to hang out not create anything and just let time you know pass and not be in your creative power and not take forward steps in the direction that you want to go that's the distinction so like a lot of the, i mean for me podcasting is one of those things where i can feel my own thought but like I'll walk around like an idiot with this AirPod in my ear all day, even when something isn't playing. And I realize how much time I'm not spending in presence with my kids because I allowed sort of this pattern to come in where like every, you know, waking moment needs to be filled with a podcast or something cool to listen to in the background. And of course, I'm on your podcast right now. I have my own podcast. I believe in podcasts. It's more the realization that something has sort of taken over and it's distracting me so that I'm consuming. I'm consuming complacently rather than creating. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think that's a big part of what they've 
weaponized here with this technology is your attention span and to sort of game your mind to turn you into an endless consumer. Not you, Amy, but you, everyone listening, myself included, we've all been sort of reverse reversed into this role where we're now these consumers at the end of a, you know, conveyor belt <laughs> that never seems to cease. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely the opposite. And I wonder, you know, I don't assume that you're in a rural community, but I wonder if, if this tor- sort of thing is more common in those areas because of the lack of electronic signaling. Like, do you notice your abilities as an Akashic reader are hindered when you're in proximity to a computer or, or anything like that? It, or is that just total paranoia on my end? No, that's a really interesting question, actually. I've never really thought of that because I am in a rural community and we just moved to a house in the country in November and December. And I do all of my readings pretty much through the computer. Like I'll do like maybe do like 0.5% in person just because rural communities, there's not a lot of the demand. But and that doesn't seem to affect it at all. However, I I am not a big city person. Not not at all in um, on on a whole bunch of levels. But I have a feeling that if I were to live in a big city and try to do this from a big city, it probably would be, or like just even a denser place where there's less space in between people and electronics and the electronic web is is much more, or sort of the, that frequency web is, is like a tighter weave. Right. I think that it would definitely affect me. Mm. That's probably why I wanted to leave the city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I asked that because, you know, I know it is kind of, it could be really rural up there or it could be super urban. I mean, Canada is huge. I don't want to stereotype, but there is a huge cities in Canada, Toronto, British Columbia has Vancouver, right? So there are dense, tight areas and living not too far from New York City myself, I feel the residual effect of that, right? Like, It's about an hour and 20 minutes from where I'm at right now if I drove straight there. And from light pollution to noise pollution to whatever the haze that's permeating off these electronic devices, there is definitely something uh, going on where most people have a tendency, and this is just my speculation here, but I think that cities give people a sort of tendency towards atheism because of that artificial haze you know they're not in the natural biosphere they're not connected to the earth's magnetic sphere so they feel non-existent you know there's no it's like a battery that's not plugged into anything yeah it has power in it but where's that power going nowhere you know there's nothing to receive it yeah totally I, I completely agree with that. And I grew up in a small town and then I moved to Toronto for a while in my late teens and, and early and mid twenties. And there are a lot of things that I loved about living in the city, but I definitely like I craved to to leave and be back closer to the earth, even though like, I grew up in a town, like I'm 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 a town kid, but it was even still just the the space and the feeling of like the proximity to, you know being able to step out of a house onto the earth plane, uh, 
I learned is very important to me because I lived in an apartment uh, a few years ago that was only on the third. It was just a three-story apartment. I lived on the top floor, but not being on the earth seemed to make a really big difference. Right. Yeah. You're just on like, and speaking for myself, we're on like a, a patch of cement next to a patch of asphalt on top of another yeah. patch of cement. It's like, this isn't the earth. This is some kind of artificial layer between, and then not to mention we're all wearing rubber layers in between our feet yeah. and our, and the ground. So, so yeah, there's, there's so much subtlety to why what you do works. It's just the average person doesn't live in the right conditions for that subtle nature to express itself. I think that's really why we have a sort of gravitation away from these spiritual concepts in the more modern times is because people are disconnected, literally disconnected on a biological level. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Well, Amy, this has been a hell of a time. I really appreciate you giving me some insight into my Akashic record, my auric field, and I look forward to having you back on in the future. I know I had to wipe the sand out of my eyes this morning, which delayed us a bit. So I apologize sincerely about that, but it's been a absolute pleasure having you here and getting to know you a little better. I definitely encourage everyone to go and listen to Amy's interview on Tinfoil Hat because I remember listening to it when it came out and it touched my heart in a really deep way. I didn't want Amy to go and retell that whole story here today, mostly because I know she, she did a really great job telling it to Sam in that episode. So please, listeners, if you haven't heard that yet, go back and, and check that out. And also, while you're at it, check out Amy's podcast. Do you want to tell us about your podcast before we go, Amy? Yeah, it's called Third Eye Awakening. It's available on all the uh, main podcast platforms. And you might notice that I haven't done an episode since December 23rd because I had that hard reset that I was talking about in January and February, but it's still active. There's definitely plans for more episodes to come out. And there are a lot of episodes there all about a spiritual and psychic awakening, basically. So if you're going through something, you know, you're not alone. And there's a lot of really good information there. And I'll also say too that because I'm a seven month old, I don't do a ton of Akashic readings right now, but I do have a course that I created called Into the Akasha to help help you learn how to access the Akashic records. Nobody, like, it's not the only way. You don't have to take it to learn how to do it, but the purpose of it is to lay the foundation, expand your consciousness and show you my method of how I figured out how to do it. And I'm very proud of it. And then also the last thing too that I want to mention is that I just also wrote a book and it's um, coming out, it's being published, available on Amazon officially on February 22nd. And it's called The Priestess Transmissions. And it carries eight transmissions about the priestess archetype and sort of the, the direction for like our abilities and leadership toward leading us back to our original divine blueprint as human beings on earth. I love that. And wow, wow, right on. Definitely send me all the links to that so folks can learn more about how they can tap into the Akashic Record and get that book. Amy, thank you so much. I really mean, you know, it means a lot to me that you gave me a reading. So thank you so much for being here. 
And uh, for having me, Mark, I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Awesome. And for those listening, thank you for being here. Please support Amy in all the places. The links will be in the description. You can listen to her on the same podcast app you're listening to this. So enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Hey, everybody. This episode is coming out in February and, you know, there's less days in February than any other month. So I figured I'd put an extra episode out on a Sunday for all of you who maybe want an extra episode to listen to this week. Or maybe you're, uh, you know, in the uh, in the future somewhere and you're just binging through. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us here in this extended outro for a riveting conversation with Amy Belair. Excuse the personal reading. I know not all of that is totally interesting because some of it's just relating to my life, but I think Amy did a fantastic job at keeping it relevant and keeping it interesting because she is interesting. Um, anyways, here we are, we have a new patron who got a new spirit animal name, uh, just a day ago. That episode is coming out after this one. So Jabroni, don't worry, homie, your spirit animal name is on the way. Uh, it's actually already out. If you're a patron, that's right. Every episode of the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast is released early on our patreon you can hear all of the audio episodes plus a whole bunch of bonus content from way back in the early days of the show even some new bonus content that's never made its way to the free section of the show we have a pay only paywall rss feed that you can get through the patreon and then we have this public one that you're listening to the show through right now. And maybe you're as cool as me and you're using uh, an awesome podcast app like Podcast Addict. If not, don't worry. You can join the cool club. Uh, I'm a new member. We have all of these awesome podcast apps. Come on now. Don't be using the old, the old guard, Spotify and Apple and all them. Forget about it. If you are on Apple, though, give us a review. That's right. And YouTube as well. Hey, I just got to address something. If you're listening to the show on YouTube and you're wondering why the YouTube screen is going gray. That's because YouTube is playing games with us. Okay. I don't know why they started doing that. Most likely because they don't like what my artwork said it said that you know youtube is censoring us da, 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 da. so now they're punishing me by giving me a gray screen i don't know why that matters since it's an audio episode and you're probably just opening up a tab on your browser and letting the youtube video play i get that why don't you just go over to Podfriend and download an app that you can use on your browser to listen to the show and then you know go over to the patreon we have a bunch of video content on our patreon 
And then, of course, for all of our Rockfin people, if you're not on Rockfin yet, go check it out. I stream every episode live on Rockfin, and all of the bonus episodes that are on the Patreon are also on the Rockfin. There's still a lot more. That's the kind of thing. It's not as simple as the audio work. The video work is a little different. It takes up more time. For you guys listening, wondering why, oh, why don't you have the video for all these? Well, it takes time. I mean, each video takes like 20, 30 minutes to freaking render. Then it takes another 20 or 30 minutes to upload to the various platforms. You know, so I'm making my way through the archives one video at a time. Be patient with me, folks. We'll be able to get it all on Patreon and on Rockfin. So yeah, again, don't worry about the gray screen. There's nothing I could do about that. YouTube is censoring us just by giving you that ugly gray screen. I don't know, for whatever reason, it makes people not want to watch the show. You're not really watching it on YouTube anyways, so it's <laughs> it shouldn't really be a problem. Anyways, come over to Telegram and voice your concerns if you have any the youtube comments are great but again another area where they can censor me sometimes people comment and then their video their uh comments get deleted from the video not by me but by youtube it, you know they have these bots that control what you can or can't say in the youtube comments that's not free speech that's why we are not Henging our bets on YouTube. It's great that people listen to the show on YouTube, but we're not going to monetize through YouTube. That's never going to happen. So here we are. If you want to support the show and keep it going, I can't do it without your help. You can sign up on Patreon. You can sign up on Rockfin. Those are the best places to support the show. Or now, finally, we have some badass merch, and I will say it is really cool. Um, I've been sort of an artist my whole life, so kind of had some cool ideas. And with the help of this really awesome AI generator, art generator, I've been making some really cool designs. So go and check those out. Check out the merch store. All of the designs are inspired by episode titles. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm going to keep pumping those out. I think they're pretty cool. If you have any ideas for t-shirts, please hit me up. And if you're a musician or an artist of any kind, hit me up and, you know, see if, uh, if we can help each other out. You can help me out with your talents and I can help you out by promoting the show to this audience. You know, if you have any music that you're not doing anything with that you think I could use in the show, uh, I, the reason I, I don't typically shout out the artist's music that goes in the show it's because it's in the episode description so it's there but also i pay for it i pay monthly to have access to royalty free music so there's really no incentive for me to shout those artists out i am grateful but i pay them so they get something in return and they get credit and all of those artists are usually on spotify so if you hear a song that you like in the podcast you could go over to a music player like spotify and check them out i definitely endorse spotify for music and you know what they're not that bad i mean they are standing by our friend joe rogan not that 
I ever met him, but he is bucking against the system. That's cool. I don't know. It's kind of gone back and forth, but he's a complicated guy. I can't say I know anything about him other than what everybody else knows already. So Joe Rogan, definitely interesting to see what has happened with him recently. Um, and yeah, Spotify, I don't know. I don't listen to podcasts on Spotify, but I do listen to music on Spotify. So if you're out there listening, you know, I'm not hating on Spotify. I just would prefer if people listen to the show on a different platform. I don't know. I don't know what Spotify's goal is in the long run, and maybe they'll eventually choose to censor this type of content. So just go with a third party platform. Who knows? I could be talking out of my ass here, but either way, Amy Belair, what a great guest. I really appreciate knowing her. Like I said, I was on her podcast about a year ago. Uh, I did recently upload that to this podcast feed. I think it was on the back end of my conversation with Michael, which like I said, you know, great conversation with Mike. I really felt like him and I connected. Uh, he's a really cool guy. And, you know, it's interesting to see the comments, the reviews uh, that some people leave. You know, I, I do my best to not interrupt the guests. So anyways, I think I address that in the next outro. It's weird. I'm doing these out of order, but it's a Sunday. So we're going to call this uh, a wrap. Join us on the Telegram. Leave us a message. Tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. And buy a t-shirt. If you do buy any merch, be sure to take a picture and send it to me. Post it on social media. And I will at you. And uh, yeah, that's it is what it is. I think we might be doing another raffle for the month of March. If you're a Patreon listener, uh, be sure to hang around tomorrow night. This episode's coming out on Sunday the 20th and on the 21st of February we are doing our second annual Patreon meetup so everybody in the Patreon check out the page for the Zoom link it will be on the Patreon page for the whole day I'll try to schedule it in the morning so you guys can have the link and then join will probably be in the evening around 9 p.m 8 p.m eastern time seems to be a good time for everybody so let me know if you can make it uh, on the telegram it's for the patrons only if you're a patron and you're not already in the telegram sign up we have a telegram that's exclusive for patrons only a lot of great conversations happening in there shout out to our friend micah who recently picked up a shirt from the merch store shout out to you anyways that does it for today's episode with amy belair thank you so much for being here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast and uh stay tuned you know these extended outros are definitely going to evolve into more than just me promoting the show and promoting the sponsors which by the way shout out to truth smacks the number one trail mix for those walking the flat earth that's right truth smacks 
is sponsoring the show in the month of February. You can go to www.truthsmacks.com and check out their trail mix. They have original, the original flavor, and they also have peppermint if you like some minty, minty trail mix. I certainly like it. I enjoyed it. Shout out to them. You get a bunch of really mind-blowing information on the packaging okay this is the type of snack you could use to wake up your friends your co-workers maybe you leave a package of truth smacks in your uber and then the uber driver gets woke next thing you know you get in that uber another time and the uber driver's talking about how the earth is flat and you're like geez these truth smacks really worked i don't know me i I'm, I, the more I eat the truth smacks, the more I see the truth. I'll just say that. But anyways, this has gone on. Uh, this has gone on long enough. Thank you so much for being here. 